Well, there's this great... Um, when I was a kid, I, I was really big into like mythology and myths and all that crazy stuff. And I just remember I got this book of uh, Greek mythology and Greek legends. And anybody else out there that was really interested in that kind of stuff? Yeah, yeah. There's a, it's, it's really cool. I, I like it. I think it's interesting, you know. I, but I never once read it and went, oh, wow, I wonder where Olympus is at for real. No, I never did that. But, um, but it's, you know, it's an interesting thing. So, but I remember hearing the different mythologies and legends and stuff. And there's this one that was really interesting to me because it was very... Um, I don't know, it was like, could it be real, could it not? And, and it has to do with the Trojan horse. Any, any of you guys ever heard of the one with the Trojan horse? Okay, well, I'm going to recount it a little bit, but it was a broody, bro, broody, brutal, bloody battle. Uh, the Trojan War has been going on for 10 years, and uh, tons of people had died. Tons of people had died. And, and the, the main reason um, is because Troy had this ridiculously large wall that the Greeks could not penetrate. They couldn't get through it. And it's, it's really a depressing story um, because the great Trojan hero Hector was skewered by Achilles. Achilles died after being shot in the heel by Paris. Paris himself had been killed by the great hero Philosotes. Um, and so basically death is everywhere. It's craziness, right? Everybody's dying and everyone's getting sick of it. But if you know, if you, anybody out there know an Italian or a Greek? I'm married to one. Oh. Love them. But they're stubborn. They just are. It's that, it's that, you know, that Latin blood in them. They're, they, they're stubborn. And so they, ten long years, no one, wanted to, no one wanted to admit defeat. No one wanted to go home. So they kept, they kept going. They didn't want to call it quits. But one day a light bulb goes off in the brain of, um, you know, crafty Odysseus. And he gets this idea. He proposes that the majority of them pretend to get on their ships, or they actually get on their ships, and they go. They, 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 they're like, they've given up, you know. We're going to go away. We've given up. Uh, and, and they, they go... But they go behind the island of Tanados. And, and, and before they do, though, they build this really massive wooden horse. If you guys remember, that's the, the Trojan horse. And, and um, they build this massive wooden horse, but it's hollow inside. Because he proposes, hey, what we'll do is we'll make this giant thing, and we'll just leave it at their gates. Like, we're, you know what? We give up. We're going to give you this gift. Because that's what you do when you lose a battle, right? You give them a gift. I don't know where it comes from. But anyway, so he, he, they, they build this thing. They say, we're going to put warriors on the inside of it. Probably about 30 warriors on the inside. We'll put our best warriors. And what they'll do is they, when, the, when the Trojans see that we've gone, they're like, oh, they've given up. They've given an offering to the gods or whatever. We'll take it in and we'll be okay. So they take it in. And I'm going to leave out a little bit of details because it's a pretty long story. But basically they bring it in and in the cover of night, the warriors break out of it, open up the city gates, and Troy falls because of the Trojan horse. It's kind of an awesome, awesome tale. Um, but without knowing it, the Trojans let the enemy inside. Unwillingly. They didn't know. I mean, they, they thought they were bringing in something, but they brought in the enemy. And from the inside, they were taken out. I bring this story up because in, it, the simple fact is, this is how the enemy works in our life. From the inside out, we can be taken down. People can be brought down. The strongest of people with the toughest of walls can be brought, into, brought down by the enemy within, the enemy of sin. That Trojan horse that gets into the area of your life that nobody else can get into. It's so fortified, but it can be the, the most damage. I think a great understanding of this is, anybody ever heard of Alexander the Great? One of the greatest generals of, 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 of history, really took over 
the whole known world before he was 35 years old. I'm 38 and I feel pretty inferior to Alexander the Great. <laughs> you know, he's 35 years old. Yeah, I took over the whole world. He was an alcoholic. He was a drunk. He couldn't even battle the demons of addiction in his own life. Conquering the world and yet conquered from the inside by the Trojan horse of addiction. See, we see this in Scripture as well. Person after person who was called by God. People who followed God. And yet, from the inside out, taken down. Or stumbled in a big way. I mean, Abraham, the father of our faith. I love Abraham. Great man of God. And yet he had the Trojan horse of sin in his own life as he lied, not once, but many times, to save his own skin and his wife's skin, Sarah. Not trusting God, but, but lying because he was scared. And so from the inside, a great man stumbled. Moses, who saw miracle after miracle as he personally led God's people for 80 years, fell to the Trojan horse of pride and anger as he made himself equal to God when he struck the rock and said, would we bring forth water from this rock? Because he was angry with the, the Israelites. I mean, who wouldn't be 40 years of wandering with those people, right? <laughs> Being such, you know, stubborn. They, they were doing their thing. But, but man, he just, he had, a, he had had enough. And he equaled himself with God in that moment. And God said, no, no promised land for you, Moses. Because you were brought from the inside out. Brought down. Samson. Now there's a cautionary tale. Who single-handedly handedly fought off armies and and and... and just wave after wave of people with a, with a donkey's jawbone. I mean, there, there's a weapon for you, right? I've never looked at a bone and thought, I could take out an army with that. <laughs> but he's, that's what he did. And, but he was brought down from the inside out, humbled, shaved, shackled, eyes plucked out because of the inside Trojan horse of lust in his own life. How about Gideon, who saw miracle after miracle? used by God to lead a few men to rout the enemies of Israel, ended up receiving gold from all the people at the end of his days so that he could make an ephod that would mark him with the Trojan horse, sinful self. He took glory when he wasn't supposed to take the glory. He took worship when he wasn't supposed to take the worship. After everything he did, he fell from the inside out. Saul, the first king of Israel, was called to lead and listen to the Lord, but his own Trojan horse of self-doubt and insecurities caused him to seek approval from the people more so than the God who created him. I bring these people up because very much so they're just like you and me. If we're honest, every single one of us has an opportunity, unfortunately, to have the Trojan horse of sin into our life. We, we, we allow it in, and it can take us out from the inside out. The enemy that at the end of a long day we find ourselves responding to those people we love, we respond in anger and sharp words instead of kindness and loving words. How about that enemy that causes us to complain and grumble and even criticize instead of affirming, persevering, and encouraging? The enemy that seems to find its way past our thick walls on the inside of our thought life and causes our eyes to wander, causing the enemy to affect our world outside. See, if I were to put this simply, I think the biggest battle in living the fearless life will be you. 
if you're taking notes, I think that's just the simplest way to look at it. The, 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 the biggest stumbling block, the biggest obstacle that we're going to face is ourselves. I mean, this is what we see in Joshua 7 and 8. And again, I wish, I wish we had like six hours, you know? Because <laughs> I, I, I got 35 minutes and I got to go through two chapters. I can't do it. I just can't. I feel helpless. <laughs> I can't. And some people go, go ahead. No, I, believe me, you'd hate me after the first two hours. It's it's so rich, and I really hope that the last thing I want to do is just have you come here and just hear and then go home and not not get involved in your in what God is doing in your own life and, and in the walking through of discipleship and being a self feeder, being one that goes into the Word during the week. That's why we give you the notes. That's why we have the grow groups. I'm really hoping that you guys are going through this and 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 just allowing the Word, which is sharper than a two edged sword, to really pierce. And, and, and cut away into your own life, into your soul, and seeing what you need to do. Because I can't speak to that individually, but God can. We have a Holy Spirit that talks to you every day. He's here, and He's with you, and He's not silent. And so I hope you're doing that. I hope you have that, just as you're going home, as you're looking at that, take that time. Because I guarantee you, God's going to do something awesome, especially in this book. And Joshua is such a great book. Um, but in, in, in Joshua 7 8 today, you know, we see the Israelites moving. You know, it, it, God does something awesome in their life. He really does. And yet, they fail and they fall. We see them get their only defeat as they get into the promised land. And, and how it happens is not from without. It looks like it's with that, from without, but it's really because of what, what's happening within the camp, within the people of God. Because the greatest enemy that they face in the promised land is themselves. See, one of the saddest things that you really look at is when, you're, when you look at what God promises them as the Israelites. Because He says, look, I'm going to take you to this promised land. I'm going I'm to take you here and I'm going to give it. Wherever you place your foot will be claimed for you. That's pretty big, right? Could you imagine that? I mean, if, if God said, hey, I'm going to move you to Redlands, Jason. I'm, I'm going to move you and your family. Walk into any house and it's yours. Amen. Wow! Wouldn't that be awesome? I mean, I have to admit, that's pretty cool, right? Like, like that's, that's a bold promise. Because I don't know about you, but I can walk pretty far. I can find some really nice houses, right? And so here's, here's the Israelites. They know this. They've been told, as Jason preached last week, they, they knew the battle had already been won. But the saddest thing to me is, of the 300,000 square foot miles that they could have claimed, that would have been theirs, they claimed a mere tenth of that. 30,000. Because the biggest battle they fought was against themselves. And, and, and can I just say that when it comes to you and me and our struggle in life and, and our walk with God, many times God wants to do something in your life. He, he wants to give you so much more. And I'm not talking material stuff. Because that's so temporary, really, right? I mean, a new car is great, but eventually the smell goes. <laughs> You know, eventually you've got to buy new wheels and the transmission. I mean, you just go through the math. I mean, one of the saddest things is when we give, in society today, we have these, you know, movies where, or these shows where they get new houses and stuff. And let's build this house for them. And then they, they're, they're yay, I got a new house. And then they got to pay taxes on it. And most of those people go broke. That's not what you see. <laughs> because that's the truth, right? Material stuff's great. But you know what's better? That inward peace. That inward joy. That, that a family that not only follows God, but, but seeks Him with all their heart. Kids, my goodness, kids that seek the Lord and that put others above themselves. 
These are the miracles that God wants to bring into our lives, into the people of God. And yet so much of the time we're afraid because the battle is already lost from inside, so we never claim it. We never step out in faith in the promises that God has for you and me. And so that's what I'm hoping today, that when we look at this, we can really look past the fears that we have, these temporary things that keep us, and look to what the, the lesson that, we're, that we can learn. Because if the core battle is with you, it really comes down to trust, doesn't it? It really comes down to trust. That simple yet profound truth that we have been looking at in this series. Fearless living means we must place our trust in the person and plan of God. The Israelites trusted God and his plan only so far as to get what they got. But if they just would have trusted more. So today we want to we wanna look at the, this in detail, the living fearlessly and how this applies. And so if you, I were to give this to you in a take-home truth, it's as simple as this. Fearless living means we fight against complacency and communicate openly before the Lord. So I'd like to flesh that out a little bit and what that looks like. All right, so if you can stand with me, we're going to read from the book of Joshua, chapter 7. And the reason we stand is just out of respect, because reading the Word of God is not like reading any other book. This is a living book to a living God, and we just want to give reverence. If you can't stand, that's, that's fine. You don't have to. We're not forcing anybody. But we just do this out of reverence, okay? First one, but the Israelites were unfaithful in regard to the devoted thing. Israelites were unfaithful. Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, the tribe of Judah, took some of them, the devoted things. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, to the east of Bethel, and told them, go up and spy out the region. So the men went up and spied out Ai. When they returned to Joshua, they said, not all the army will have to go up against Ai. This is an easy battle. This is piece of cake. Basically, send two, three thousand men to take it and do not weary the whole army for only a few people live there. Easy battle, right? Easy battle. So about three thousand went up, but they were routed by the men of Ai, who killed about 36 of them. They chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. At this, the hearts of the people melted in fear and became like water. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord, remaining there till evening. This is huge. Then the elders of Israel did the same and sprinkled dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, sovereign Lord, why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? If only we had been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. He's complaining. Pardon your servant, Lord. <laughs> He's like, let me catch myself. I just complained. What can I say? Now that Israel has been routed by its enemies, the Canaanites and the other people of the country, I will hear about this and they will surround us and wipe out our name from the earth. What then will you do for your own great name? The Lord then said to Joshua, Stand up! What are you doing face down? Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant. That's why you got chased, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied. They have put them with their own possessions. That is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they have made liable. They have been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. Go consecrate the people. Tell them, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, 
there are devoted things among you, Israel. You cannot stand against your enemies until you remove them. Okay, you may be seated. Again, there's a lot here. I wish I had time to go through the rest because it's a really great story, but I want to encourage you to do that on your own more and more. There's so many free commentaries online. I mean, you, this day and age, you can listen to the Bible, listen to the commentaries. You never even have to read it. You could do it while you're driving. It's great. I mean, it's, we have so many things at our fingertips to learn more about what's going on here. So here we have a guy named Achan. He had a bad back. And that was a bad joke. <laughs> Any of you with the bad backs like, Oh, I'm Achan. You don't want to be like Achan. Who, who in the Battle of Jericho takes some of the plunder. Because this is what's going on here. We had a previous battle. And, and, and you know, the M.O. of your ancient days. I mean, what you would do when you went into battle. I mean, whatever you saw. If you came into a house and you saw. I mean, even from the people. You wanted them, you took them, that's, that was your right as a conquering army. But God made a point to say, you will not take anything from Jericho because it is bound for destruction. It is not for you. Only what I say you can have, you can have. And so, but, but the interesting thing is, I mean, why such a big deal for a couple of trinkets? I mean, all of Israel is getting punished. When we look at this, the whole nation is being punished for this one guy. And it's really not that big of stuff that he took. I mean, it wasn't like he went in and took a whole Fort Knox or anything. See, God said at the get-go that the people needed to trust him, didn't they? Didn't he? I mean, he said, look, I'm going to do this, but it's all me. You've got to trust me. His plan, his person, we need to trust They would have nothing to fear in following him and he would not only do it, but provide for them as well. See, to not let the Trojan horse of doubt and self into this. But Achan, at the core center of this, if we really look at this, did not trust God or his plan. That's what it is. He did not trust God or his plan. So he took more than he needed. See, what it comes down to is, I know what you've said, God, But this would be really nice. Now I know none of you have ever done that. But the truth is, we we, we look at these things. We look at this stuff. We get assaulted with this every day. And it's hard not to. See, if if you're taking notes, again... This is simple. It's, it's Coveting is always at the core of our fear. Now, I mean, this word covet is an interesting word. And it's not something you probably hear on a daily basis. It's more of kind of a Christian word. I try to stay away from Christianized words. So I, but I, but I, it's such a good word. I want, I want you to, to really get this. To covet means, means to wish or desire for something greater. It, it's, it's the idea of... Yeah, I know that I've got this, but I really need that. And isn't this the way of the world around us? See, this idea of covet is more than just, oh, I'm good, but I want more. No, it's, it's really a trust issue. Coveting comes down to trust. Because it's saying, I don't have what I really need. God hasn't given me what I want, what I, want, what I really wanted, and what I really needed, so I'm going to go after that. And that's what Achan does here. See, it's, 
It's the job of the advertisers, by the way, to make each and every one of us covet 24 hours a day. That's the job of the advertisers. And I don't begrudge them. I mean, they're trying to sell something. But they want us to wish or desire for their stuff earnestly. Because without it, you really won't be able to make a proper salad. I mean, let's be honest. Right? If you do not have this, you cannot make a proper salad. Therefore, you need it. I mean, how else do you sell some of these things out there? You ever seen these things? Like, why would anybody buy that? One time I was at Costco. And my my wife loves to tell this story because I'm a sucker. I'm a sucker. There's one born every minute. I'm one of them. And I'm at Costco and there's a weed blower kind of thing. You know one of those blowers? But, no, get this, it's got a reverse attachment where it actually will suck into it and mulch and I remember turning to my wife and I said, but, but babes, it also mulches. I need it. I need it. Right? And I mean, I could just imagine the, the, the advertising of things that come out there. You've got to have it. And you won't be happy until you stand in line to get that new phone. Right? Because the new one is an eighth of an inch bigger. And how could you be happy with something that much smaller? I mean, honestly, Right? I mean, who wants to be the last one on the block to get that? And if I don't sign up for that website, I won't ever find the person of my dreams. Oh, if I don't buy this book promising to fix all my problems, I will continue to wall into my problems. Because I will be left in dire straits without this plan in, in, in effect. And when I get ready to retire, I mean, all the experts are saying, i got to do this. Because if I don't pay out of all this money to get my kids this or that, then they will suffer later in life and... They're going to go to counseling and blame me. See, Aiken falls for this. This is the idea of coveting. And I mean, we all, we all fall for this. Please understand, I'm not talking about something bigger and, oh, I just wish I... No, this is, the, this is simple. I mean, who knows about Aiken? Let me, let, let's look at Aiken for a second. I mean, maybe he's, his wife is pregnant, right? And, and he's worried that God wouldn't provide for the new baby. Or maybe his youngest one all needed the latest new sandals. Or the oldest one had to have the newest camel because the Hoffmans in the next tent over got a new camel for their daughter. I mean, I jest, but the truth is, there's always that, right? There's always that. I, I, I gotta get it. I gotta get it. And, and let me just say, the world is suffering because so many people gotta get it. I gotta get it. I mean, if we look at the amount of pain and suffering that's caused from just trafficking alone because people just gotta get it. You know, one of the saddest things to me is how many people die. Kids, 22,000 kids die every day from hunger. And 40% of all of our food in America is thrown away. What, what sickens me about that is it doesn't have to be thrown away. And yet it is. Understand this here. Coveting really is at the core of our day-to-day. It stops us trusting God and causes us to seek the other. This is why if we are to live the fearless life, we must see if coveting is at the core of our day-to-day. Now, the next part is coveting is catchy in the community. Why would God... Do what he did. Israel has sinned, he says. No, Achan sinned. I mean, if we're reading it right, literally, right? Achan did it. 
But God looks at it like everybody did it. They violated my covenant, which I, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen. But it was Achan, God. What are you? Not, what, what's the matter with you? No. See, covenanting is catchy, and we need to understand this. As a community, it is catchy. I have a good buddy. Love, he's a good friend of mine. And I play video games with him, because that's kind of one of my hobbies, is I play video games. And, you know, he, he's the one that got me onto this game called Minecraft a long time ago. It's a great game. You know, I got my kids into it. Now they, all they want to do is play it, and I'm wishing I never got them into it. No. Um, but, uh, but he's, he's, uh, he's a born salesman. Anybody have a friend like this? I mean, a born salesman. He could sell ketchup gloves to a woman in a white coat. You know, he could sell ice to an Eskimo. I mean, whatever cliche you want to use, right? I mean, so he'll come along and he'll say, Oh, dude, okay, Chris, you have never played a game in your life. And I'm like, I play games all the time. No, no, you have never played a game until you've played this game. Oh, what game is it? Already, I'm like, huh? What's going on? Oh, no, this game is the greatest game you will ever play. I guarantee it. And this is how he talks. I'm not even kidding. I mean, he's, oh, I mean, he is, he is the salesman, the consummate. You need this in your life. you got to have this. If you don't have it, something's wrong with you, man. I mean, seriously, how can you even call yourself a human being? Because all you're doing is lumping a log, not playing this game. I mean, he'll say things like that. I'm not even kidding. And he's very dramatic. This is why I like him. He's like me. But he goes, and then, so I'm like, all right, all right, I'll get this game. I have, to, I'm ashamed to admit, I have a ton of games that I've gotten because he's told me I have to get it. It's catchy. It's catchy because he does it. A, now, he has this other knack of when I get the game, I'm like, okay, let's play. Oh, yeah, man, I, I, I'm bored of it. I'm bored of it. <laughs> I haven't even played it yet. You know how many games I've gotten that I've never played? I've had to enact a rule that whenever he says buy this game, I put a five-day limit on it. Because I guarantee you, one, it's going to help me not to covet the game. for. But two, he's probably bored with it by the time five days comes up. I'm like, you turkey. It's actually a running joke with us, you know? We do that all the time because that's the way it is. But, but it's catchy. It's just catchy. He wants it and so do I. And I, I, I kind of brought up the, the, the food that... We waste in America. You know what's interesting? Stores notoriously overbuy. You know why they overbuy? Because they know that coveting is catchy. You see, if, if I were a grocer, and I had my produce section, and I had bought the amount that I know people would buy of lettuce in a day, people will buy nine lettuce. It's a given fact. I, I know this. Maybe ten. Maybe twelve. I'll buy twelve, just in case. And I'll put twelve right there in my section. You know why they don't do that? Because people notoriously will see a little bit amount of lettuce there and go, it must not be good. And they don't buy it. So they have to overbuy because the more they have in that section, the more people go, ooh, it must be good. Aren't we sheep? The Bible has said it for years. We're sheep. Oh, people are buying it. I'll buy it. You know? Oh, there's nothing there. Nobody must want it. But I need lettuce. Yeah, but nobody wants it, so I don't want it. You know, that's the truth. And they know this. And they do this. And so what happens? 40% of it gets thrown to the landfill, causing nitrogen and just breaking down. And just, I mean, it's horrible what's going on. And we're throwing stuff away constantly. And you know the dates that are on there? 
The dates on the food are developed by the manufacturers, not even by the FDA. The only thing the FDA actually puts on anything with a date that's actually valid, that actually means something, is baby formula. Everything else's date is put on there by the company that wants you to buy more. So it's in their best interest to say, oh yeah, it's going to go bad, like, oh, it's already gone bad. Buy two. (laughs) Did you get it? It's like the gum seller coming into the smoker and saying, of course you don't want to smoke. Here, buy gum. Right? The idea is buy more gum, buy more gum. It's just getting you away. It's getting you to covet. It's getting you to want it. That's the way we are because it's born in us and it's catchy. So this is what happens. And the sad thing is it's causing huge issues around the world. Huge issues. And, and I guess my, my question is, I mean, the biggest place that we deal with is in our community right here and in your own family. Where are you putting your desires and your interests in such a way that those around you are catching it? They get it. They get it. They know what's important to you. They know what you covet. Whether you say it or not, they do. I was a youth pastor for 10 years. And I would have parent after parent come to me and say, I don't know what's going on with my kid. Why is my kid doing what they're doing? And a part of me couldn't say the truth of, they're just following in your footsteps. You have made everything else more important than following God. So of course they're going to do the same thing because it's catchy. You put your desires in those things. It's the same reason why people vote for who they vote for a lot of times when they first come out. It's because, well, my parents did. That's why they vote the way they vote. And the truth is, when we desire that thing, want that thing, seek that thing, seek that idea more than God, it's going to catch on and it's going to be what people see and feel and know and start to do as well. Because the truth is, coveting robs us of our certainty in the Lord. It it, it robs us of our certainty in the Lord. So about 3,000 went up and they were routed by I and killed about 36 of them. They lost. They were robbed of their certainty. They had such certainty, didn't he? See, Joshua, his MO beforehand was consult the Lord, consult the Lord. But you know what? After all the stuff, we're going to spy out, we're going to look. What did, the, what did the armies do? They came back, the spies, hey, it looks good, no problem, just send a couple people, you'll be fine. They had, they had what they thought, certainty in the Lord. But because of the covenant amongst them, their certainty was robbed. We seek those things that won't make us happy, but we feel they will, and ultimately we lose our certainty of the Lord's presence in the battles we face every day. Because when we're not putting our hope in Him and trust in Him, and we do it in something else, it wastes away in a landfill. This is exactly why the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy encourages encourages Timothy to keep placing his trust in God. One of my favorite verses is he says, Some have rejected and so have suffered shipwreck with regard to their faith. They're shipwrecked of their faith because they've put their trust and their hope in something other than God. And of course they have no certainty. I mean, you ever been on a ship that's tossed back and forth? You realize how small you are real quick. Ever been in an earthquake? Ever been swept away by a wave? I mean, anything that's bigger than you is like, oh my gosh, all of a sudden you get woken up. Ever been in a car crash? And you're like, I can't believe I survived. You get swept away. It's like this uncertain like, oh, and you're scared. But you should be scared because you trusted in that thing that was going to take you out. 
Nothing is more uncertain than the storms of this life. And when you make your focus on anything but God and His plan, you will have the uncertain, shaky ground. You will not have the certainty of the Lord. And you will lose the battle. Because coveting allows the enemy to chase us into more fear. See, they chased the Israelites from the city gate and as far as the stone quarries and then struck them down at the slopes. We underestimate the enemy many, many, many times. So much so that we don't always seek the Lord and in those times we get chased away, just like the Israelites. And when we covet those things, anything above the Lord, even good things, because you can covet good things, by the way, but you put that above the Lord, you fall into idolatry and the enemy, it's open season to be chased away. I've counseled many people who've come to me and said, I don't have the certainty of the Lord's presence. Now, they don't say it that simply. But a lot of times they go, I, I just, I'm, I don't know what to do. And I, I, I remember I was counseling these people one time whose, whose uh, marriage was falling apart. And they had been married for a long time. And their marriage was falling apart. And, and it was... Um, it was one of those things where it's like, oh my gosh, you know, we need to help you as much as possible. This is not good. And the devil was chasing them in their marriage. I mean, literally. And they didn't have, uh, I noticed, they didn't have this certainty in the Lord. And, and, I, and I, I probed deeper because that's what you do as a counselor. You ask those questions. And, and, and what came down to it was one of the people just really had this unforgiveness. They had this anger. And it was from their past. And so... We tried to, to really deal with that. We, we really tried to deal with that. I, I, I said, let's set up a time where we can pray and you can, you can say, Lord, I, I no longer covet this anger over you because that's what's going on really. And when you tell them, I, I don't covet this anger, then why are you holding on to it above everything else? Because that's what was going on. This person had taken, like Achan, this anger and buried it in the tent of their life and tried to hide it. And there was no certainty. And of course, the enemy was chasing them. And it was sad, because their marriage was suffering. See, Christianity is not a Sunday morning, one day a week accoutrement that we just wear, like a wardrobe piece. That I go to church, I wear this thing, and then I go home and I do my... No. Many people fall into this. Following Jesus isn't just something we pick up in one area and set down in another area. When I, when I was younger, I, 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 I battled with this. I really did. As a kid, I'd be like, I want to serve the Lord. And then I would go out and do the dumbest things. Because I was a kid. And I was insane. Because I was a teenager. But I would do these crazy things because I had this anger and I had this stuff in my own life. Because the, the truth was, God, I love you, but I just love this more. And so I was chased. Where are you? See, the simple truth is we allow the Trojan horse of sin and coveting into our life. And every single one of us, at our core, has a fear that stems from this. Maybe you truly feel you will be alone, so in your desperation you allow the Trojan horse of covetousness in as you desire past the plan of God that He has for you. Or you know that you should claim that earnings on your taxes, but the bottom line is, the fear you have about losing the house allows for the Trojan horse of covetousness to end, so you seek more ways to cheat the system and continue to be chased by the enemy. You are pumping away too many dollars into this fad or that fad because the truth is you're scared of getting older. 
And the only way to truly be free is more of these pills or this program. And the Trojan horse is going to tear you from the inside out. You see how it works? So how do we stop this vicious cycle? How do we stop this fear? How do we have this fearless life? Well, I'm going to go back to the take-home truth. There's no surprise here. Fearless living means we fight against complacency and communicate openly before the Lord. This is the only way that's going to happen. See, here the Israelites are like, oh, Joshua puts the brakes on. He's like, oh my gosh. We were camped. We were camped right in the middle of complacency because we had this previous battle over here where we won because the Lord was with us and then we just fought this battle and we lost because we were in the middle with camp, in the camp of complacency. And he didn't seek the Lord. And so what does he do? He falls to his knees. He tears his clothes. He comes before the Lord and says, Lord, he's open. I mean, so much so that you're like, wow, some of you might have, when I read that, you're like, he said that to God? You ever read the Psalms sometimes? And you're like, is that okay to do? Right? I mean, they're bold. It's almost like they knew Hebrews when it says, come boldly before the throne of grace and mercy. Present your requests. See, the truth is, God is calling us to stop being complacent and be open. Openly communicate before the Lord. I, I had the opportunity this week. I wasn't going to share this, but I'm going to share it. Um, I had the opportunity this week to hang out with a bunch of pastors. Some of them, like, their church is really successful. And some don't even have a church yet. And You know, just different levels of, of, of things. And I sat down. I sat down with four guys. I was one of them, so three guys. Um, and they were asking, how are you doing, Chris? How are you doing? And, you know, I, at first, oh, I'm doing good. Uh, and then just more they talked. And by the end, I was blubbering like a baby. And you're like, well, that's just Chris. But, you know, I just was dealing with stuff, you know? And I was like, I'm going to be open about it. And I'll tell you, such a difference. Such a difference to be open with the people of the Lord. Because let me just say, God is in His church. God and His Holy Spirit is in brothers and sisters sitting right next to you. And many times we go, Lord, help me. But we never go, can you encourage me? Can you keep me accountable? Can you help me? Because I know you have the gifts of the Holy Spirit in you. Let's work on this. Help me. See, Joshua tore his clothes and fell face down, but it wasn't just Joshua. It was the elders of the Lord did the same thing. They entered together into this aspect of, this is all of us. Because obviously it's not just Achan, it's all of us. We need to deal with this. All of us. They knew that they needed to step up and communicate openly with the Lord. See, the easy thing to do is run away and hide. And I did that as a kid. That's why I suffered so much. There was a lot of things I didn't share. I didn't talk about. But instead of going and burying this thing that you were so seeking after and coveting in the tent of your life, we need to take it up and give it to the Lord, but also go to people and help. I mean, maybe it's with addiction. You know it isn't good. You know it's hurting every aspect of your life. And the complacency is only making things work. You're being torn up and from the inside out and it's just getting worse and worse and worse. And maybe it's just been as simple as the struggle and desire to have the security of the full bank account or job. That will truly make you happy. Again, these are good things. To, to work hard and have work and be, have that bank account so that it's, it's not in the red. I get that. But cannot not be 
an idol that we place before the Lord. We take and we covet so much that we bury it in the tent like Achan underneath and try to hide. And that's really what's bothering us. That's really what we're seeking. That's really what's going on. And we are afraid because we know in our tent we've got something buried. And God's calling us out. God's calling us out. And He wants us to be real. Where have you become complacent? What have you hid like Achan? I want you to take the time right now. I'm going to give you some time. I've I've got a thing on your paper. This is where you enter in. It's not just something where you sit and listen and you walk away and you go have a deli sandwich, okay? We do that too much. I really want you to think about this. Because every single one of us has something. Maybe it's the health of those in your family. That's a great thing. But have you put that above the person and plan of God? You see what I'm saying? Some of you have things in your life. What do you need to write down? Maybe this is something you're going to say, I can't do this right now, but I'm going to go home and I'm going to do it. Don't neglect this. Because God wants you to deal with the stuff that you've placed in His place. Because I'll tell you, you'll never have certainty. You'll never have the certainty of the Lord's presence. Never. If you're hiding it and coveting it and buried it in the tent of your life. So write things down now. Those things you've been desiring, seeking, and outright coveting before the Lord. I've been told I don't give enough time for this. So I'm trying to give you time. The other thing is this. One of the best ways to destroy complacency and to truly, you know, just have that communication with the Lord openly is to meet with community. One of the things that I'm really excited about, about the Grow Gathering that's happening is I've had a number of guys, independent from themselves, from each other, you know, not, not knowing. It's not like Steve said to Jim, hey, go talk to Pastor Chris. No, that's not what happened. It's just they came up to me and they said, I'd really like to see just a group of guys get together. A group of guys where we just get together. One, we hang out. But two, we get real. We get real. And we talk about those things that we need, that, that, that honestly we deal with. Because we're men. <laughs> right? Because that's what, I mean, men are different than women. That's okay. And, 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 it's, and, I'm, and I'm excited. I'm super excited. Because we're not only going to get together sometimes, maybe we we'll go out and shoot guns, because that's what men do. Right? But, but we're going to get together and we're going to deal with those things that maybe we've been hiding in the tent of our life. And can I just say, I want to encourage you guys Because every single one of us has this. Every single one of us. God wants us to dig that up. Give it to Him. And be free. Because that's the the story here. When you go through it, God severely deals with Achan. Because Achan doesn't do it. Achan doesn't do it until it's too late. Some of you have been there. (laughs) I mean, they're whittling it down. I mean, it it, it whittles down and all of a sudden it's like, you know, the tribe... The subset, subset of the tribe, and then the subset, and the subset, and all of a sudden it's like, Aiken! Yep. 
And he's like, guilty. Okay, I did it. I've been there. One of the scariest verses in the Bible is, be sure what you hide in your tent will find you out. (laughs) Your sin will find you out. God will reveal it. So the best thing we can do is get together with each other and deal with it now. Get off of our high horses. Stop being religious. And start being real. Because we all struggle with something. We all deal with something. So my hope is we can experience the truth of what happens after they deal with that. Because the truth is, Joshua and the people, they dealt honestly with it, they dealt with it, and God went before them, they had the certainty, and they won the battle. Isn't it time to win, people? Can I just say that in your life? Do you want to have a winning marriage? Let God dig up the stuff. Do you want to have a winning you know, communication with your kids? Do you want to have the winning of the, of the life that is around you, that you deal with on a daily basis? I do. I do. I have to dig that up. I have to let God deal with it. Otherwise, you will not win with God. Because He's always going to say, you're not letting me in. See, this is the truth of the cross, by the way. Jesus died so that we can have the certainty. The certainty that He not only loves us, but He's made a way for us to go before and deal with this junk. The cross is proof that you are loved by our Heavenly Father. It's proof that He's made room for you and me. And that the promised land isn't just something that's promised. It's a real deal. Today. Not just something up high in the sky when you die. No, God wants to transform your marriage. He wants to transform your relationships. He wants to transform your family. He wants to transform your career. He wants to transform these things. That's the truth. But you got to let Him. Are you going to live the fearless life? Let's pray. Let's give these things over to the Lord with certainty. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the fact that that you sent your son Jesus. Because if I'm being open and honest, if I'm going to communicate with you openly, I have to say, I need Jesus. I need Jesus. Because Lord, when at the at the end of the day, when I when I when I rely on my own strength, I can be a stinker. At the end of the day, when I rely on my own strength, I try to bury things. I covet. I I try to take what's not mine, what I don't need, what hasn't been promised in the purpose and plan that you've mightily given me. Because I'm afraid. Because the fear is always nipping at me. Because the truth is, like Cain, you came to him and said, Sin is at your door and it's trying to master you. What will you do? How will you choose today? Don't let sin master you. God, the only way I know is to let you, Lord Jesus, be the master of my life. And so, God, we just come before you as broken people who can be conquerors in your son Jesus Lord who are not exactly the best of the best but we're blessed by the best 
Jesus Christ. And so we want you more in our life. We need you more in our life. We give our life to you. And we say there is no space in our life that we're going to hide from you. Because we want the certainty of your presence in our families. We want the certainty of your presence at our jobs. We want the certainty of your presence wherever we go. So we lift up our lives to you. And we take this time, Lord, to say that we love you.